please be seated. If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for understanding. We ask for a heart to receive it. We ask for um, you to, to transform us within, that for you to change us uh, by your word. We thank you for every uh, word that proceeded out of your mouth. We know um, that we are to, to read and heed it in your power and by your grace and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So Israel had great privileges. That's some of the things that we have talked about. Uh, The privilege of being his people, the privilege of being a chosen nation, not because of something they had done, but because of God's uh, mercy shown to them. They didn't come up with that. Uh, They didn't plan it. Uh, They were not uh, greater than other people. They couldn't look in the mirror and say, uh, look at how wonderful I am. Uh, Of course, uh, God must love me and think much of me. Uh, the Lord was clear. They were the smallest among the nations. Uh, they were they were weak. They were needy, and they needed to um, uh, be shown mercy. And that's what God did. And so he he did that. And uh, they had nothing but, or they should have had nothing but gratitude in their hearts for what God had done. And when you've experienced great privilege because of the mercy shown that you didn't deserve, the natural response of that heart is, how can I serve? How can I bless God? How can I honor God? Some of you might say, uh, I'm so thankful that I'm a Christian. I'm so thankful that I've been saved by God. I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ. And the follow-up should be, how can I then respond and offer my life back to Him? That, that's what someone that has genuinely experienced uh, the, the saving grace of the gospel does. They say, how can I respond and offer back? In a, in, and I know it'll be in a small way for the infinite price that was paid for my salvation. How can I offer myself back? Now, you know what Israel did with their privileges? Of all these, these mercies shown them? They increased in self-centeredness. In a way, they would say something like this. God loved me because I'm so wonderful, because all that I have accomplished, because I am who I am. God loved me so much. And so, because He loved me so much, I must be really, really special. And as a result, uh, I should pamper myself for the rest of my existence. And you're like, man, that that is that's weird. Like how, why would they think that? Israel was in her prime and all of her health and wealth and wisdom, you might say or whatever, gave her this feeling of superiority. And instead of growing in self-forgetfulness, uh, she kind of grew in self-importance. And God said the only hope for her was to seek him. Not all the stuff, not all the activities, not all the I do all this stuff rigidly, not just this mechanical external going through the motions, not just I cut the check, I go to church, I do these things. Not that, not out of a, a deal of like what I'm going to get from God, 
but out of gratitude for what God has done for me. That is a game changer. If Christianity to you is, I'm going to do all these things, and then they're going to add up to me being right with God in the end, you're going to do the bare minimum, and all you're going to do is say, I check those off, and you're going to carry a long list to yourself with yourself to, in the end, you're going to hold it up and say, look, God, look at all that I've done. And if you do that, if you do that, and you think that God is pleased with you by your performance, you're going to find out that your performance could never atone for your sins. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross because you could not make up for your sins. You could not atone for your sins. And someone who has seen the great mercy shown to them should not grow in self-centeredness or pride, but instead they should grow in self-forgetfulness, saying, in light of what he's done for me, in spite of me, I want to now offer my life back to him, and there is no cost greater than what the cost that he paid, the price that was paid for me. If you are in Christ, you should not have this, this, this idea of superiority towards God or towards others or towards anything, but rather a humble heart. You see, Israel today, what we're going to see is not only, you know, did we say they become more and more self-centered, and not only were they like doing all these things, but not really seeking God, which he could see, and not only did their self-confidence grow in self-deception, like grow them in self-deception, but here we see is their pride kind of drove them to complacency and led to their fault. Sometimes a person that thinks very highly of themselves puts it in cruise control and just goes down the road. And they are just almost like asleep at the wheel. And uh, I don't know if I told you this. I, I talked to a friend not too long ago who was in a plane with a pilot. The pilot was so comfortable with where they were going, not in a commercial deal, but in a, they were so comfortable with where they were going, I guess, that once they put it on autopilot, they decided to take a nap. And they were like, this dude's like napping. What's he doing? He was kind of just complacent. Why? Because I guess he figured it would be okay. Oh, autopilot would work, you know? I'm sure that would scare you. It would certainly uh, scare me. But... I think it's important to just say, like when we're thinking about these things, we're saying prideful complacency leads to a fall. In that case, out of the sky, potentially, right? But it does. It leads to a fall. Like It's interesting to me. Someone can move from real... Some people, man, have you ever met somebody... They can be so humbled, and yet, like, the next Sunday, so proud. You're like, how did they switch gears so fast from being so humbled to so proud in overnight? Like, what, do you, what happened to these people? What's going on? It, it's because, like, the depths of our need and the depths of Christ crucified on our behalf 
has just maybe never really intersected with their hearts. Just maybe never truly seen it. Now, you can be complacent about your health until you go to the doctor and they say you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, something like that. Or, if you ever had one of these, a heart attack. Those are always like, it's all good until the heart attack comes. And then you're like, if you survive, it never changes like uh, your thoughts again about, you know, taking care of your health potentially. You can be complacent about your spending. Like you can act like you don't really have to pay your bills, that you don't have to be self-restrained in that regard. It, almost as if like there's a money tree in the backyard and you just go pick more money and you pay off your credit card every month, and you can be that way until you have to really dig out of that, right? You can be complacent about your spiritual life until you find yourself deeply entrenched in a sin that is holding you captive. Complacency is one of those things where when a prideful heart thinks that they are secure, and maybe even deserves to be secure. I deserve to be secure. When a prideful heart deserves this level of security and begins to say to itself, look what all I do, look what all I've done, look at how God should be pleased with me, look at the evidence that he is pleased with me, and when you get to that place, you you get to that level of complacency, and right behind complacency is a great, fall that's just that's what goes on in this text so when you're thinking about it today Israel's prideful complacency led to their fall that's at the heart of what we are doing so let's go you ready when does the complacency kind of really become a threat that's maybe what you would want to ask because we're thinking about prideful complacency It's when you think you're invulnerable. Look at verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease. Ah, you ever been there? They're at ease in Zion. They feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. It's speaking here of these notable men uh, of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. It's kind of like... um, uh, you know, there are these people there that are in the the culture, whatever, where people are coming to them and they think of these great men for whatever reason. And they uh, they're like uh, just sitting back, relaxing, say, come sit by the pool with me and I'll tell you and answer all your questions to all the issues of life. They are self-confident and carefree. In the movie, The Patriot, Benjamin Martin played by Mel Gibson, reads all of the memoirs of General Cornwallis. And he said, you know, he knows more about war and strategy than a man could know, almost like he was saying, in in ten lifetimes. And he says, he doesn't even have a weakness except pride. And then he asks a question. Pride is a weakness, right? Israel is here. They thought they were invulnerable because they thought so highly of themselves. They were doing well financially, militarily, and religiously. 
in their minds, in their own estimation. Not, not with God. They're not, not with God. God said, y'all are dead. Seek me and live. They are not good with God. They were good with themselves. They were good with the people around them. They were good with those who they went to worship with. They were good with the people they hung out with at the club. But not with God. God said, seek me and live. You kind of wonder, are you trusting in things, material things for security, rather than trusting in the Lord? Do you think because you have all the comforts and all of the things built up around your life to protect you, that you can sit there at ease? That's kind of where Israel was, and it's a frightening place to be. Jesus taught us to seek first his kingdom so what he wants is not someone sitting around beating their chest about how great they are and saying look at all that we've accomplished look at how how blessed we are and how big we are and how strong we are now so complacency was a result of their pride in their position and power and prominence and all that and it also becomes a threat when We think we're better than others. So they looked around and said, uh, look at all these other nations. Look at verse 2 and 3. I mean, look at those other nations. We're better than them, right? I mean, that's what people do sometimes when they're kind of like thinking about Christianity or you ask them about knowing God or whatever. They'll say, I'm better than all these other people, you know? Like, so this is kind of what's going on. He says, Pass over to these places, and he mentions three different places. And, and the Lord says, are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? You who put, a, put away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. He's just saying, like, it can be, you can kind of grow in this level of, like, such prominence among your peers that you might even think, I may be the greatest in the world. I mean, we may be the finest of all. I may be the top whatever. I'm in the top 1% of great people. That's kind of the struggle that's going on. And so they're looking at these uh, states. All three of these states uh, were posed a threat to Israel's national security at some time. Uh, King Jeroboam uh, II brought Hamath into submission near the beginning of his reign in Israel. And it's logical to suppose as a result, uh, that as a result, Kauna too was no longer a threat to Israel. And then King Uzziah in the southern kingdom of Judah, he took uh, took Gath and, and dealt with them. And so there was this place of like we're in this great pl- place of authority. We're looking and saying all these nations that we used to be scared of, we're not scared of them anymore. It's kind of the idea. And so again, there's reasons for complacency. You're starting to look and say we're doing so well. And all of the people around us are not doing as good as us. We're in a good place with God. God likes us. We got plenty of everything. And we can sit back and kick it. And we can know that we're fine. Okay. The church, does it ever struggle with this kind of pride? 
Do we ever really think more highly of ourselves than we ought? When we really stop and think about it, we know that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But do we believe that? Like, is our hope really built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Is that, is that really true? That's something we have to consider. What it, it not, not, is it ju- not is it true in what we sing, but in, is it true in what we believe and how we live and how we consider life and think about it? This understanding that apart from Christ we are all condemned should drive us to sincere humility towards God and others and a deep sense of gratitude for God's kindness towards us. Think about that one more time. If in, in the Bible teaches that Christ alone is our righteousness, that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ... You are no longer condemned because what Christ accomplished on, ba- on your behalf is the means by which you are saved. His blood was shed. His body was broken. That is your hope. If that's true, it should produce sincere humility towards God and others along with a deep sense of gratitude for God's kindness towards us humility and gratitude is the opposite of pride which leads to complacency the third thing you see look at verses four through seven this this prideful complacency leads us to be consumed with ourselves and have no concern for others So I want you to look at verse 6. But are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. What is he saying? There is all this trouble around you, but you're not grieved over it. You don't care about the struggles that others are facing. Look at verse 4. Woe to those who live on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, and who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They're going to be the first ones going to exile. So think about that just for a moment. And I think that's important just to stop and say, again, this is these people are definitely not humble. They're not sitting there thinking about I don't deserve anything but God's mercy has been shown to me. I don't deserve it. I don't have anything to bring to the table. I am a uh, someone in need of God every day, in need of his mercy every day. That's not what this looks like. What this looks like is I deserve a lot. Think about how hard I've worked. Think about what all I've done. I mean, I deserve everything that I've gotten. 
and look at what I have. And now I'm going to just spend my whole life figuring out ways to make myself be more and more comfortable. That's what this looks like. And not only that, like you almost see this kind of someone that almost would be consumed with finding ways to maybe uh, have the best and the best and the best to the point where it's just almost insane. What they're doing is they have these great things, uh, these great beds. They have this. Uh, they're, they're actually saying, like, go out and kill the, the, the youngest animals. You know, generally what you would do is you would take an animal and let it grow up to its full potential as far as like being able to provide for you and your family these people are saying go kill the the little ones that doesn't we're not worried about it growing to its full potential what we want is the most tender meat and uh, that was probably some kind of delicacy and that's what we want Uh, you also see them kind of with with their music it's this idea that they are able to kind of uh, uh, they have time to become accomplished I guess that's what you might say Another thing is, instead of drinking wine like that the normal person would do in their normal every day, I'm drinking wine as a part of like survival kind of thing. Uh, the majority of people would drink wine, um, but but instead of just doing that as a normal thing, they are drinking it in in big bowls. It's the idea that they're just like drinking all that they can uh, at a time. And they're saying, like, fill it up, fill that bowl up. I know we used to use glasses. No need for glasses around here. Give me a bowl. And so all of these things are going on while other people are hurting. That's kind of the picture. They know that there are a lot of people. Honestly, what we found out in Amos is many of those people are hurting because of these people. So, they shall be the first to go into exile. And all of their parties will pass away with them. There will be no singing, no more drinking, no more killing of little animals to eat them early, no more beds of ivory. These people will be drug off into exile. Their prideful complacency has come to an end. So, this is almost like, when you look at this, a sign of the Canaanite feast and the way that they indulged themselves. And so, again, I mean, it's like uh, they kind of almost added their, to their worship of God, this kind of thing. And so, what are we saying? You're saying, Jared, okay, talk to me about, like, what's going on here. Well, I think what we're saying is, is there's a prideful complacency, and we see that in verses 1 through 7. And then we get to the second half of this, and we say, now let's see their fall. But we've got to stop and ask ourselves, why are they falling? Why did these people fall? I think they fell because they had, the, you know, one of the worst vices of all. Like some of you might say, you know, if we were to list like the top ten vices that you could think of, uh, you know, growing up I remember pastors like kind of they'd lay those vices out. And there was like four or five of them. And, and, and very few of the people in the room, like, really struggled with those. So they were all like, you know what I mean? And, you know, I mean, they would hope that somebody that, like, uh, an alcoholic would show up, you know. Because they would need to hear that. Uncle so-and-so, he needs to show up, you know, and hear 
that he's got this vice, you know. But the vice that we're dealing right, you know, dealing with here, I think is clear. It's the vice of pride. They're guilty of pride and self-conceit. Now, just a couple of verses before we talk about their fall. Uh, God uh, is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays those who act in pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. One whose uh, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So just, a, that's a couple. There's a lot of verses that talks about God's opposition to the proud. So humility is depending on God. Pride is depending on one's self. So let's just look at a couple of things that might help you in that regard. I just want you to note in verse 8 of Amos, the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. It's very clear. God will deal with the proud. So what we're saying is these this complacent pride brings destruction. Verses 9 and 10. What does it result in? What does this destruction look like? Death. You kind of see in verse, there's this one picture. If there are ten men in a house, they shall die. It's almost like uh, someone is sending in, the Lord is, sending in one that will go into every room of the house and see who might be left in there. In verse 10 there's this idea that someone has come to bury a body and they're dragging that body out. They find someone in the innermost parts of this house and they ask, is there anyone in you? And the person says, no, but be quiet. And the idea is the Lord might hear, I think, potentially, and come in and find this person. Or it might be like this, like don't even say the Lord's name because everything's lost already. So, Those things are going on. So we say this complacent pride leads to death. The second thing you see is total destruction. The Lord says he commands the great house will turn into fragments and the little house into bits. The idea here is all the houses are going to be destroyed. Everything's crashing down. And so it might be someone might say, well, yeah, I could see God judging those big fancy houses with ivory beds. I can see that, but not really my little house kind of thing or whatever. But the idea here is it kind of reminds you of Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham said, can you find a few that are righteous among these people? Um, uh, Even among the poor, can you find some there? And it's like there was no one left. The people were wicked. So this wrongful pride, not putting their trust and hope in God, not boasting in the Lord, results in death, destruction. Look at verse 12. It also results in kind of like you could say poor judgment or foolishness. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. What's he saying? 
he is saying, like, a horse is not dumb enough to run on rocks. And a farmer is not foolishly going to go th- try to go through rocks to plow in a place. But you are so foolish that you have turned, notice what it says, justice into poison. It, it's almost like people are, are, you try to pour up justice for them to drink and they're spitting it out and coughing it out on the floor. And saying, like, what are you trying to do? Kill me with justice? Ugh. And then, righteousness into wormwood. And it's kind of the same thing. It's bitter. I don't want right, justice and righteousness. That's how foolish they are. They can't, their pride is so great that they, they, they have like this, they've, they've call, they're calling good evil and evil good almost in that culture. It's wild that they would be that foolish. Have you ever met someone that has been so foolish for so long that you can't really speak to them and say, you know that's wrong, right? And they're like, what? And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, really? You, you don't know anymore? Like, you don't, that's wrong. You're, you're, not, you're not thinking clearly. You can't see clearly. They're, they're, your minds are so perverted. A man who is very wise in his own eyes becomes more and more foolish as he moves forward. True wisdom comes in the fear of the Lord. So we keep going. You think about wrongful pride. It, it, it dilutes thinking. Look at verse 13. And this is just interesting because in verse 13, he says, you who rejoice in Lodabar and you say, have we not by our own strength captured Karnaim for ourselves? What's he saying? This is interesting. In both cases, these are insignificant places. They think they're so strong. But God's saying like, you haven't really done anything. It's kind of like you'll meet someone, and I have a friend that worked. This is, if you've ever been a small town mayor, I think it's great. You know, I mean, it's great. I'm great that people do. It's great that people do that. But I've had a friend who worked sometimes with different people that are in those different places like that, and it might be, you know, if if you have a town of two hundred, and but you're king of that town of two hundred, you think you're something, right? And you're like, uh, dude, like, this isn't New York City. This isn't Dallas. This isn't Paris. This isn't Los Angeles. This isn't even Texarkana. Like, this is, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we had some Arkansas town that's like population seven, you know. And he's kind of saying to you, like, hey, y'all overthrew a town of 200. Y'all are awesome, right, in your own eyes. So it makes you, like, you start building up in your head how great you are because even though it's small, in your mind you're great. That's kind of what's going on here. So you keep going. It even, verse 14 says, it leads to total devastation. I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And they shall oppress you from 
Uh, These two places, I'll just stop and say, from the highest point in the north to the lowest point in the south. He's just trying to help them see. We can have such a lofty opinion of ourselves. And it's it's crushing. It will destroy you. It will lead to pride, which leads to a complacency. I'm in such a good place, which will lead to your fall. What, What do you do? What do you do with that? That, that's the big question. We look at all this stuff and say, what do we do with all of this? What do we, how do we deal with the fact that we have a tendency to have such a crazy view of ourselves, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought? What do we do with that? What do we do with that? We know that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what do you do with that? What you do is you stop and consider. God created you. God gave you the mind, the opportunity, the country that you live in, the place that you're at in history. God gave you that. God gave you your desires. God helped you along the way. God has sustained you through all of life. He is with you every moment of the way. If anything has ever happened to you that was good, it's because of God. Any gift, it's from God. If you're saved one day, it's because of God. It's because Christ left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross. There is no hope for you. Except for God doing the work in you. God saving you. God delivering you from death. God not condemning you because He condemned His Son in your place. There's nothing for you to boast about. Nothing. Nothing. Your boasting will only lead to your destruction. Period. It doesn't matter if you're 10 in here, 20, 40, 70. If you're sitting there and your kind of like religious mindset is, Oh, God is so pleased with me with how great I am. And you're sitting there in your pride and your arrogance and you're kind of sitting there thinking, man, I'm in a good place because I'm here today, because I did this today, because I've done that in the past, because I've done good with all the things that I have. Every single bit of that is a gift to be stewarded. Anything that you're taking pride in, anything that makes you think God's pleased with me, any way that you're living where you're saying, I am not resting in the finished work of Christ in that alone, in the blood of Christ shed in that alone, in the perfect righteousness of Christ in that alone, in the ultimate sacrifice of Christ in that alone, in the working of the Spirit in my heart to transform a dead man and bring him to life in that alone. In the plan designed from before the foundation of the world by the Father who is the architect that saved us said, I'm setting in motion to rescue you and that alone. Anything else is your arrogant self thinking, I am, you're so self-deceived, you can't see that there's no, there's only one hope for you. 
And that is in Christ alone. God saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And whatever we pompously sit around thinking, oh, we're so good. God must be so pleased with us. That kind of pride leads to complacency and it leads to destruction. And that's the story of Israel. And you don't want it to be yours. You don't want it to be yours. That's the road to damnation. Religious and irreligious people go to hell. Because they have somehow, for, they, they could not see. Because again, it's gift after gift after gift. They could not see that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. They will not wholly lean on Jesus' name. They will not stand on the rock that when the flood of judgment comes, they, they, they built their house on the sand, but they don't even know it. They've stood up there thinking they're in a good place. But when, if they don't build their house on the rock, what they don't understand and what you don't understand, if you are not putting your hope in Christ, is when the flood of judgment falls, you will be swept away. Let's pray. May we run from complacency, O oh God. May we cast away our pride. May we turn to Christ where we find a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. If we hold fast our confession to Him, when judgment comes, we will be saved. May that be true of everybody in this room. In His name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with me at this time.